0: You have your Bibles with you this morning, and I would like you to open them, please, to Galatians chapter 1. I know many of you are already at Second Peter, and you stay there, because we're going back there. But in just a moment, I'd like to read to you, beginning with Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. And we'll go over to Second Peter chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. We're going to conclude the sermon series out of context this morning. And the message I'm going to bring you is the most serious one that I've brought in this series. It's a very sobering message, it's a very strong message, and some of you might be very uncomfortable with what will be said. But as your pastor, I owe you three things. Number one, to lead you in the pathways of love. Secondly, to lead you in the pathways of righteousness. Thirdly, to lead you in the pathways of truth. This morning's message is basically about truth. Up to now, we've seen mostly sincere people who really want to instruct others, encourage others, comfort others, use verses out of the Bible to do that. Oftentimes, the verses they use do not have the meaning that they intend them to have. In other words, they use the verses out of context. Now let me say, these are sincere people. They're well-intentioned people. Some of you are guilty of this as I have been in times past. We want to instruct people. We want to encourage people. We want to comfort people. So we find a verse that we think does that. We share it with somebody. And later, as we've seen in this sermon series, we find that the verse that we were using doesn't quite mean what we said it meant. Now, by and large, when we do that, no damage is really done. But today is different. What we're talking about today is a group of people who call themselves preachers, who call themselves teachers, who call themselves theologians who call themselves conference speakers, who deliberately lead people astray to pad their own pockets financially. And they use the gospel to do it. Not just a single verse, but the entire gospel they use incorrectly, inaccurately, wrongly, and yes, wickedly, to lead people to believe something that's not true for the purpose of padding their financial portfolio. We're talking about that this morning. Not just the taking a verse out of context, but taking the entire gospel out of context. Not doing it sincerely, but doing it insincerely. Not trying to instruct somebody or comfort somebody or encourage somebody, but doing it for your own gain financially. Now I want to let you know that this message I'm about to bring you is not about being Baptist or Presbyterian or Methodist or Pentecostal or whatever else you want to be. It's not about conservative or liberal. It's not about traditional or contemporary. It's not about likes or dislikes or this way or that way. It's not racial. It's not political. It's not social. It's not financial. It's not moral. What I'm talking to you about this morning is about truth. The truth will set you free. But if you don't know the truth, you will forever be in bondage. Not just in this life, but in the life to come. Having said all of that, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. The greatest Christian man who has ever lived is writing to the church and the Christians in Galatia. And his words are sobering, ladies and gentlemen. Paul was usually a mild-mannered man. He was usually somewhat passive. He was not an aggressive, in-your-face person. He was very diplomatic. But in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 9, the subject is so serious that his tone changes. He's talking about those that were changing the gospel. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from the Lord who called you in the grace of Christ to follow a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want you to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel came from heaven and preached any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you in times past, let him be, say that word, a curse. Now you might say, Pastor, what's that word mean? Look up here, I'll tell you in plain English, it means let him go to hell. That is strong language concerning the changing of the gospel. Verse 9, he amens what he just said. We have said before, so now I say again. If anyone preaches, any other gospel to you than what you have already received, let him be accursed. The penalty for changing the gospel, Paul says, is eternal death. That's how serious it is. The penalty for twisting the gospel, the penalty for changing it, the penalty for subverting it, hijacking it, meddling with it, is eternal death. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. The apostle Peter also issues a very strong warning concerning the scriptures to those that he's writing to. In verse 16, he makes mention of Paul. They were contemporaries. They knew one another. Verse 16, 2 Peter chapter 3, as also in all of his epistles. Now, who's his epistles he's talking about? Look at verse 15. It's Paul. and all of Paul's epistles, speaking in them of these things, and which are some things are hard to understand. Which they that are unlearned and unstable twist. You say, where do you see twist? That word rest in the King James W R E S D means to twist, to twist as they do also other scriptures unto their own destruction. You therefore beloved, seeing you not you know these things before. Beware lest you also be led away from the error of the wicked. Fall from your own steadfastness. If one apostle says something, we ought to listen. When two apostles say essentially the same thing, our spiritual antennas ought to be going beep, 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 beep. Because it's important. The Apostle Paul was a very wise man. He was a very diplomatic man, as I said earlier. He ministered primarily to the Gentiles. The Apostle Peter was a street-smart preacher. He knew the street lingo. He knew the street ways. He was a very passionate and fiery man, oftentimes putting his foot in his mouth. (laughs) And his ministry was primarily to the Jews. Yet the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter, so different in so many ways, they come together toward the end of their ministries. And they warn the church and the Christians of their day. And they let out a warning to all the churches and Christians who will follow. Beware. There's a group of shysters and hucksters out there who are trying to change the gospel, who are trying to twist the scriptural meaning of the gospel in order to further their financial gain. What a warning to give to the church. What a warning to give to the saints that this is going on. It was going on in their day. And as they looked down the corridor of time, they saw it was going to go on in every age since, including ours. As I stand before you this morning, I want you to understand there's deception everywhere. The world is being prepared for the greatest deceiver this world has ever known to come. And we're already seeing the tip of the iceberg of the deception. Religious racketeers, mobsters, if you will, have infiltrated the church, have infiltrated the seminaries, have infiltrated the airways, radio airways, television airways. And they're bringing another gospel to the people. It's not another gospel. It's a crooked, corrupt gospel of the real gospel. And people all across America, some who call themselves Christians, many who call themselves Christians, are falling for this false gospel in all of its crookedness and corruption. Except, if you fall for this gospel, you're going to fall into hell. And those who dupe you with it are headed there too. And to make matters worse, they do it all in the name of Jesus. Can you imagine the height of arrogance to tell somebody something that's not true and to use the holy name of Jesus? That shows you their arrogance, their pompousness. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. I don't normally name names. Most of you know that. But we've got so many new Christians in this church. We've got so many believers who are growing in the Lord that today you're getting names. Some of you are going to roll your eyes and say, I I didn't know that. But you need to know it. You need to know it. Now before we go into this crooked gospel, this changed gospel, this corrupt gospel that's being shared today, We need to ask ourselves the question, what is the true gospel? What is the gospel that Paul received and Paul preached? What is the gospel that Peter received and Peter preached? What is the gospel that Dr. Billy Graham received and he preached all of his life? What is that gospel? Whenever you ask a Bible question, where should you go for the answer? The Bible. So go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. This is the real gospel. This is the true gospel. This is the gospel that God uses to transform the lives of people. Paul gives us this gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 1. He gives it to the church at Corinth. He gives it to the Christians there. And he says, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which you have also received and wherein now you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory, what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Now what's the gospel? Verse 3 and 4, he gives it to you. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Don't miss that. And that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the true gospel. That's the real gospel. That's the gospel that came down from heaven. That's the gospel that God commissioned you and I to share with the lost and dying world. That gospel is what the Great Commission is all about. That is a gospel that will lead people to life abundantly and eternally. That's the good news gospel. And that gospel has one focus. That gospel has one center. That gospel has one thing that is preeminent and prominent about it in its name. is Jesus. The death of Jesus Christ, the burial of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all of it according to the Scriptures. Ladies and gentlemen, understand you, Pastor, the Bible has 66 books in it, and every one of those books, Jesus is in it, and Jesus is the hero. Sometimes He's in the light, and you can see Him clearly. Sometimes He's in the shadows, and you have to look a little bit. But He is the hero of the Bible, The written word and the living word are the flip side of the same coin. You love one, you'll love the other. It's Jesus. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ for our sins on a cross. That's the gospel. He paid in full for our sins on the cross. When he took our sins, he took our penalty. And the penalty of sin is death. And on that cross, he took the sin, he took the penalty. He shed the blood, he gave his life as the final, full, forever Lamb of God. And then he was buried. And when he was buried, he was buried with our sins. He paid for our sins on the cross. He was buried for our sins in the tomb. Our sins were forgiven at the cross. They were forgotten in the tomb. They were taken from us as far as the east is from west and remembered no more. And then when he was resurrected from the grave, he gave us new life. We were crucified with him on the cross. We were buried with him in the tomb when he came out of that grave alive. We who believe. We walked out with him. And we have a new life now. A new life. We're free. We're forgiven. It's a life of faith. It's a life headed to heaven. That's the gospel. He died for me. He was buried for me. He arose again from the grave for me. And because of him, my sins are forgiven. They're forgotten. And I'm a new man. Heaven born, I'm heaven bound. And my sin you can no longer be held against me. It's gone. That's the gospel. If you're saved here this morning, it's that gospel message that brought you to Jesus. But some in Paul's day and Peter's day and a lot in our day have taken that message and they've changed it. They've changed it from salvation to health. From salvation to wealth. From spiritual to physical. From spiritual to monetary. Financial. The gospel is being changed, not to be about saving people's soul, but about making you healthy and wealthy. And that's the gospel that's being perpetrated on masses of people who don't know better. Some of them sit in churches, some of them sit in communities, some of it by the radio, some of it by television, sometimes in conferences or churches, but it's being shared. Now, who are some of these people that are doing this? Who are they? Do they know what they're doing? Why are they doing it? Why in the world would they do it? They've been bought. You know, there was a mobster in Chicago that years ago said, there's nobody in America I can't buy, including the president. I wonder if Satan doesn't sit back sometimes and say, there's nobody I can't buy either. I don't know if these people I'm about to mention to you are saved. I don't know. I don't know if they're good or bad, nice or mean. I don't know about all that. But I can tell you what they teach and preach is a wrong gospel. Who are they? Well, let me tell you who it began with about 50 years ago. It began with Oral Roberts. He started it all. In his heyday, he was making $110 million a year. $110 million a year. His ministry was himself. Then there were couples that followed him. Jim and Tammy Baker. Paul and Jan Crouch. Ken and Gloria Copeland. Joel and Victoria Osteen. Then others came with them. Benny Hinn. T.D. Jakes. Joseph Prince, Jesse Duplantis, Mike Murdoch, Creflo Dollar, Robert Tilton, Paula White. And I could go on and on and on. It'd take me all day to tell you every name. They all do the same thing. They preach a message, they preach a gospel that tells you God wants you to be healthy. God wants you to be wealthy. And by and large, they say nothing about your soul. Everything is earthbound. There's nothing eternal about their message. It's all about me, not about him. Now, what is their gospel? Because time's running out. What is these two gospels that they teach and preach in churches and in conferences and on the radio, on television, before millions of people? Well, the first gospel is called the Positive Confession Gospel. And this gospel deals with your health. It's a gospel that focuses on the physical, not the spiritual. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called Name It, Claim It. Say It, Have It. Now, let me listen to me. Let let me tell you the premises from which this comes from. Because God in the beginning. God in the beginning spoke creation into being. Because God did that, we also can speak our sickness and disease away. Because God spoke and created everyone and everything, we have the ability to likewise speak in regard to our sickness and disease, we can speak it away. He's a big God. We are little gods. We're evolving to be like Him. We're not there yet, but one day we will be. He spoke everything with His Word into creation We can speak everything with our words concerning our health. Now, you know where this theology comes from? It comes from the New Age. The New Age got its start in the Garden of Eden when the serpent came to Eve. And what did the serpent say to Eve, ladies and gentlemen? He said, if you eat of this fruit, you can be like, help me out, who? Eat eat this fruit. God doesn't want you to eat it because God knows as soon as you eat it, you can be like Him and then He'll have a rival. God's trying to keep you down, baby. And that's what these names that I mentioned among countless others. They've bought into this New Age movement stuff. That we are little gods and we can speak words... Just like big God spoke words, he spoke words and created. We can speak words called positive confession and we can find healing. Strong, positive, authoritative words. And if we speak those words with enough faith, cancer will leave our bodies. Cancer, leave in the name of Jesus. Heart disease, cease in the name of Jesus. Sickness and illness, move on in the name of Jesus. Parkinson's disease, bye-bye in the name of Jesus. Now you might think, Pastor, who would believe that stuff? There's plenty of people who believe it. Because they're desperate for a healing. And people who are sick and desperate will turn to anyone and anything to try to get it. And I don't, I don't knock those people. But these people I've mentioned, they prey on people like that. Not this prey, they prey. Like an eagle would prey on a rabbit, they prey on them. Power to be healthy is found in using faith as a force shield. Star Wars. Except there they had a sword. Faith is our sword and it becomes the force shield to block sickness and disease. The power of positive words, we just gotta say it and it'll happen. And if you've got a sickness and disease, it's really a demon you just got to cast the demon out and the sickness and disease will go away. That's what they teach. That's the gospel of positive confession. You can find healing through the force of faith. The power of your own words are casting out the demons of cancer or Parkinson's or whatever else might be in you. And if you can't get well, whose fault is it? Help me out. Whose fault is it? Yours. Because they're smart. They always have an out. And if you cannot heal yourself from the sicknesses and diseases you have, then it's your fault because you don't have enough faith. You're not speaking positively enough your confession. Or you're not casting out the demons. Now, where do they get this kind of stuff scripturally? I mean, they're not scripturally, they don't really worry about the scriptures, but yes, yeah, they have a verse they'll throw at you. Because you see, you can prove anything you want to prove from the Bible if you just go pluck verses out of context. And that's what they do. And one of the verses they use to justify this teaching, this preaching, this gospel of health, that God wants everybody to be healthy, and that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for everybody to be healthy. And if you're not healthy, there's something wrong with your faith. There's something wrong with your positive confession. There's something wrong with your ability to cast out demons. Where do they get this from? They get it from Isaiah 53, verse 5. By his stripes we are healed. Every one of you have heard that verse before. Except that's not the whole verse. That's just the back end of the verse. The verse is not talking about, in context, physical healing. If you read the whole verse and read the verses that precede it and follow it, it's very clear that Isaiah is speaking about spiritual healing from sin, not physical healing from sickness. Notice what he says in the whole verse. Let me read the whole verse to you. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Verse 6, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die for heart disease or cancer or Parkinson's. He died for the sins of you and I. He died for an eternal purpose, not an earthly purpose. He died for a spiritual purpose, not a physical or monetary purpose. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, Peter gives a comment on this verse in Isaiah. And this is what Peter says it's talking about. He goes back to the verse and he says something. He says this. The Lord Jesus, who his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you are healed. He bore our what on the cross? On his body? Sins. There's nothing about physical healing here. Now, I do believe God heals. Don't get your pastor messed up. Don't you get messed up. I believe in healing. Some of you can testify God has healed you. But there's no guarantee of healing. He is a sovereign God. He does what He wishes to do. He does it in love, but He does it according to His will, not our will. He can't be manipulated by our positive confessions. So, you got the first false gospel. And if you watch any of these names I just spoke to you about, if they've got a 60 minute television show, 59 minutes will be on that. Say, so what will they do with the other minute? They say, hi and bye. You watch Dr. Billy Graham when he was on television. Fifty-nine minutes was sharing Jesus. Not talking about what you can do for him. He talked about what Jesus could do for you. Second gospel that goes with the first is the seed offering gospel. You've heard that one before, haven't you? The seed offering gospel. That gospel is directed toward wealth. Positive confession gospel is about our physical health. God wants to heal everybody. If you're not healed, you've got a problem. And then the seed offering gospel is about wealth. If you're poor, you've got a problem. Because the seed offering gospel says God has a formula. If you follow the formula, you'll get rich. God wants His children to be rich. That's the teaching. God wants His children to go first class and high class. God doesn't want you to ride commercial. He wants you to have your own plane. God doesn't want you eating bologna. He's got a T-bone steak waiting on you. God doesn't want you to buy your clothes from Ross. He wants you to go to Italy and get them. God doesn't want you in a Chevrolet. He wants you in a Lincoln. God doesn't want you to vacation at Edisto. He wants you to go to the Riviera. That's the prosperity seed offering gospel. You give to God, God will give back to you a hundredfold, a thousandfold, ten thousandfold. You just give to God. Now, this seed offering gospel comes with a little asterisk by it. When you give your financial gift, it must be to an anointed ministry. Guess who the anointed ministry is? Theirs. Don't give it to your local church who will be there for you when you need them. Give it to me. I'm God's spokesman. You listen to me. I'm God's anointed. They wear that word anointed out. got to give to God's anointed you got to give the amount that the anointed one tells you to give because he's in communication with who wait a minute okay God said give $666.39 they do that you've seen them it's always some weird figure because God spoke to them. So you've got to give to the, the anointed ministry. You've got to give the amount the anointed one has said you're to give. And if you don't get a financial blessing from what you give, whose fault is it? Yours. You know why? You didn't believe. You see how they got, they're so slick about this. If you're not well, it's your fault because you don't believe. You don't have faith. You don't speak confession. You don't cast out demons. If you're not wealthy, whose fault is it? It's your fault. Why? Because you don't give the right amount of money to the anointed ministry and believe it'll work. Now, some of you think I'm being facetious. I'm telling you, that's how it works. So that's why they're always devising a campaign. Every time you turn one of them on, they'll have a new campaign to reach in your pocket and get your money. The year of Jubilee. The year of this. The year of that. The offering of this. The offering of that. They come up with fancy names. They come up with dollar figures. And they're constantly coming up with something to get your money with the promise that if you give that little seed gift, you're going to have a a fruitful bushel of money come your way. Ladies and gentlemen, if anybody tells you God told them something, you better run as far as you can. If anybody claims that they're anointed of God, you better run from them as far as they can. People who are anointed of God don't walk around and tell you they are. Anybody who says they want your money because they're using it for ministry and they uh, they live in three houses and have six more vacation houses and a helicopter and a plane? Whose ministry do they want it for? The ministry of me, my, and mine. Now, I know they also use a verse. They use John ten ten 10 a lot. They say, well, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The problem with that is, that's not in context what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about physical abundance. He's talking about spiritual abundance. He's talking about that through his salvation, you have life. You go from existence to life. And when he gives you that life, what do you have in that life? You have peace. You have joy. You have hope. Abundantly. Those of you who are Christians, would you amen that? That's what He does. He gives you abundant spiritual blessings to go with your salvation. In fact, that word life that's used in the Greek, the word is for spiritual things. It's not physical things. Now, in closing, and time is out. That's one more thing. Positive confession, gospel. You get... Health. Seed offering gospel, you get wealth. Positive confession gospel that gets you your health comes, pay attention, comes because you say the right words. You use the force of faith correctly and you cast out the demons. seed offering gospel you get wealthy because you follow the formula that is given if you give this according to the anointed minister who's telling you the anointed mouth you will get this this and this now let me ask you a question did you pick up something there it's all about who I say the right things, I do the right things, I am healthy and wealthy. God, you ain't got a thing to do with it. If I speak it, you got to do it. And if I follow your equation, you got to give it. God becomes a servant to us in those gospels. We worship ourselves, which appeals to many people who don't want to worship God either. gospel is about who? Jesus. He died for us. He was buried for us. He rose again from the grave for us. And by the way, he's coming again for us. And his gospel will save a man's soul. His his gospel will set a man free. His gospel will change a man and transform a man and put a man in heaven. I'm not saying he won't heal. He can heal. I'm not saying He won't bless. He can bless. But we can't order Him to do anything. He's God. And Paul and Peter said, Woe is to those who say things and do things to pervert the gospel that was given to them. In closing, can I challenge you to read your Bible and study your Bible? As your pastor, that's all I want from you. I don't want you to believe me. I want you to get into the Bible and read it and study it. I want you to read it from the beginning to the end. I want you to start at the beginning of a book and read it to the end of the book. I want you to keep everything in context. I want you to read it as if you're reading a letter. If I sent a letter to your house, would you start at the bottom paragraph and read up? If I sent you a letter to your house, would you say, Okay, I think I'll start in paragraph three, third sentence. Or let me look, find a word in here that I like the pastor used. Ah, oh, I never heard that word before. There, That one. <laughs> I'll use that one. That's what we do with the Bible, and we wonder why we're as screwy as a termite in a yo-yo. When you get your Bible, open it up to a book, Start at the beginning, read to the end, keep everything in context. And when it says something, believe it. Don't try to say, well, he he doesn't really mean what he says. Yes, he does. Secondly, if you have trouble understanding the Bible, get you a good commentary set. We offered the Dr. J. Vernon McGee commentary sets not long ago. About 50 of you took advantage of them. Listen, they're the finest commentary set you can get at any price. They're outstanding for $60. If you say, Pastor, I read the Bible, I can't understand it, well, read it and then go to the commentary and let Dr. McGee explain it to you. He's excellent and he's sound. You say, Pastor, I I don't think all these people you mentioned are guilty of this. You do your own homework because I did mine. I don't know a single one of them. So I listened to them. I read their books. I spent a lot of time getting to know them. And it was nauseating sometimes. But I did it because I didn't want to just stand up here in front of you and spout off. Study what they say. Study what they do. Study how they live. And come back after you do that, then we can discuss things. Because I think if you go with an open mind and open heart and you look at any of them, you're going to say, wow, I didn't know that. If something looks like a buzzard, cackles like a buzzard, eats like a buzzard, smells like a buzzard, and flies like a buzzard, it's a what? Thank you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.